Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Terrorism and its disguises. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol Lieberman, your terrorist therapist. Um, I have gathered here today <laughs> three uh, news stories that have in common the fact that um, it relates to terrorist terrorism and disguises. So the first story is about the military self-identifying in a way as trans. Um, I'm not saying that the military are terrorists, but the fact that they used this uh, trans person as a recruiting tactic uh, is part of what's resulting in fewer recruits to the military to fight against terrorists. So that's how that comes together. Then the second story is a story about a terrorist who, um, a radical Islamist terrorist, who self-identified as a Christian and went on a stabbing attack in France. The third story is about a, an ISIS bride who self-identified as a fashion blogger now. <laughs> so let's start with let's start with the first one. They are uh, it's important to it's important to see things for how they really are. Um, you know, that is part of the story. Um, terrorism when things aren't how they seem. So, all right, let's start with the military. You may have heard this, although it really hasn't gotten a lot of attention, a lot of publicity. It's kind of been <laughs> kind of been hidden because the um the Navy realized that they made a big mistake. So the story, um, part of the story is that a Navy SEAL named Robert O'Neill, who is a decorated combat veteran. He served for eight years as a, meter, as a member of SEAL Team 6, which is the team that took down Osama bin Laden. Now, he is saying, I can't believe I fought for this bullshit. Um, he's not very happy that the Navy is, has used um, a drag queen to recruit uh, people into it. So... Robert O'Neill, um, this, and he um, he said, all right, the U.S. Navy is now using an enlisted sailor drag queen as a recruiter. I'm done. China is going to destroy us. Um, the story is, or the, no, it's not, it's not a fake story. The truth, the hard, the hard to believe truth is that um, the Navy. Um, 
you know, is, well, the, all the military, I'll tell you just how much, but the various branches of the military are in trouble in terms of recruitment. And that is not a coincidence when they have been um, promoting a woke agenda. And of course, this is all part of it. Um, promoting a woke agenda, which is not doing very well in terms of getting people to uh, become interested in joining the military. Now, if you think about it, a drag queen, um, and the drag queen in particular that they used was um, Yeoman Second Class Joshua Kelly, a drag um, goes by the name Harpy Daniels. Now, she has a lot of um, and and they decided to use her to reach a population who they don't, wouldn't miss on TikTok, people who are her fans, but it's the exact opposite. If you think about it, I mean, do you really have to be a psychiatrist like I am to figure out that people who are thinking of joining the military would be people who um, are proud of their courage, want to feel, you know, proud of, of um, protecting the country, um, proud of their strength, uh, proud of being willing to go under fire to protect the country, and so on and so forth. Not exactly the image that a drag queen portrays. So who is, whoever is figuring out this, uh, these recruitment plans really don't know what they're doing. Um, so, okay, so they, they, Harpy Daniels, she actually um, used to, or maybe still does, uh, entertain on the ships. And um, she, so she announced on TikTok in November that she would be the Navy's first digital ambassador. Um, she, her, she, her journey, she talks about her journey and it went from performing on board beginning in 2018 and then went on to become an advocate for those who were oppressed for years in the service. In other words, for um, gay and LGBTQ people plus people um, who she feels were oppressed for years in the service. Um, now this was a pilot project it ended in March, 2023, um, when they realized that it really wasn't uh, doing very well. And um, uh, it went from October, 2022 to March, 2023. It was designed to explore the digital environment to reach a wide range of potential candidates. Um, then, so this operated Navy SEAL, tweeted about this, how outraged he was. And lots of people chimed in and agreed with him. For example, well, first of all, he gained 1.1 million views and thousands of likes and retweets. And so some people said, quote, as a Navy veteran, I am ashamed on behalf of the US Navy. I hope that goes over as well as Bud Light did. Somebody else uh, tweeted in response, this is beyond disturbing. I'm a former military officer and I just can't believe what our brass is doing. Another one tweeted, an insult to every veteran and their families. My dad just rolled over in his grave at Arlington. I'm so glad he didn't have to see this happen. Then there were others who disagreed with the Navy SEAL. Um, 
the the um, you know many of the people compared um, the drag queen to Dylan Mulvaney, who was the trans activist that Bud Light used to advertise uh, on their cans or in their in their advertising campaign. And of course, that resulted in a PR crisis for their brand and a lot of lost money. Now, it's one thing, you know, if, uh, to be honest, if they lost money or not. Um, I think it was, that's another example, though, of really um, an out-of-touch PR team to think that this would work. Because similarly, Bud Light, you know, is is associated with macho and, and um, you know, not not um the kind not the kind of people who would be thrilled that Dylan Mulvaney was part of the advertising um now uh but the difference is you know the difference between a beer can and recruitment for the military is huge because um you know this is a company losing money i mean you know i'm sorry and all that but they kind of deserve deserve it if they have a stupid uh such a stupid advertising campaign but um, but when it has to do with the military, that's a lot more important. And the fact that there should be smarter people um, controlling the campaigns of the military is important, more important than a beer. So now listen to how um, the shortfall of the military, it is really very concerning. The Navy uh, has, has a shortfall members. In other words, they had wanted to recruit at least 6,000 more people, and they haven't. The Army is off by 10,000, and the Air Force is off by 3,400. So, um, so, you know, so how this relates to terrorism is that um, with this shortfall in the military, all three branches of the military, we are in more danger of attack from China, from Russia, from you know all our enemies, including terrorists. So I think um, I wanted everybody to know about this because this is a big concern. And it isn't that, you know, it's not that, um, I am certainly not against gays or lesbians or, you know, LGBTQ, <laughs> In, in general, it's not about that. It's about um, using this kind of activism in the wrong way. Um, you know, like trying to thinking that this is going to recruit people into the military. You know, it's it's so difficult to talk about these kinds of things because um, you get you get uh, thought of as someone who's racist or is prejudiced or you know against lgbtq plus um i am i am uh, against the what's happening to our kids as far as um kids being given propaganda and being transitioned into trans and so on without parents being involved in all that but that's a whole different story but it you know if to talk about this to talk about the military um, doing the wrong thing in terms of their uh, their recruiting campaigns is not about having prejudice to LGBTQ+. So, all right, I'm going to leave that there. And um, I'm going to now talk about the second uh, story, the second news item, which is about um, this, this tragic event in France. 
France is being, well, all of Europe, but especially France is being overrun by, by migrants. And there are um, so many attacks in all of these countries, France, especially um, Germany and the UK. And it is like every day there are things happening, stabbings, um, uh, you know, just defacing of monuments and things, uh, just all kinds of, of attacks of, of various natures. And um, on June 8th, there was an attack in a playground um, in a southern in eastern southern eastern town of Annecy, which is a tourist hotspot, and it's like the the sweetest uh, place, you know, the calmest place. It has a lake, and the playground was near this lake, and you know, it's the most tranquil place um, that you would want to see, and that's why there are a lot of tourists there and so on. But it's not, it's not. I mean, it's a tourist hotspot, but it's not not in the sense that it's um, you know that it's, it, it, the serenity is not spoiled um, until <laughs> June 8th of this year when a man, asylum seeker, went on a stabbing spree. Now, why am I, since this is happening all the time in, in um, Europe, and, and the reason why, you know, I, I need to start talking more about some of these events that are happening because you do not hear about them in the mainstream media in America. And the reason why it's important to hear about them is because this is what is, we are on the verge, America, the West, well, Europe is the West, but America is on the verge of um, the same things happening here that have been happening for years now in Western Europe. And so we do need to be alert, especially with our border. You know, it's both the Southern border and the Northern border there are documented, it has been documented by American um, border patrols that um, people who are coming across, I mean, not only is there an outrageous number of people who are coming across, but people who are coming across are on terror lists, terror watch lists. So the fact that we will soon be, I don't know how long soon is, a year, three years, five years. I don't think it would be, it's going to be more than five years. I would be surprised if it was because um, in addition to the borders being uh, open, open basically, um, we also have imported, the Biden White House has imported um, 80,000 plus Afghans when he um, surrendered in Afghanistan. Now these, a lot of these Afghans are people who helped Americans, but certainly because they really weren't vetted at the time that they joined uh, the planes that were coming to America. You know, there are people in that group um, who did not, who were not helpful to Americans and who will, um, who are likely sympathizers, let's put it that way, likely sympathizers to ISIS um, or well, to Taliban, ISIS, Al Qaeda, terrorist uh, philosophies. So um, these stories of these things that are happening in Europe are horrendous, 
Um, and we need to be aware of them because uh, because it's not it's not a matter of oh you know that's too bad I like going from France <laughs> or I like going to London or I like going to Germany you know it's too bad that those places have become dangerous now uh, it's not just about that it's about you know realizing that we need to do something to make sure that this doesn't happen in America so um, this story uh, uh, this stabbing spree in the southeast of France in this um, serene small town. Uh, the reason why it is particularly newsworthy is because um, the, the authorities and the media are still saying that, uh, still not acknowledging that this was a terror attack. So for example, a uh, the question is, did a Christian, oh, I left out them. Instead of saying, screaming, Allahu Akbar, as most terrorists do when they are attacking, wherever they are attacking, um, this terrorist screamed um, in, in the name of Jesus Christ. So instead of Allahu Akbar, he screamed in the name of Jesus Christ. So the question is, did a Christian terrorist just go on a stabbing spree at a playground in France? And of course, that's tongue in cheek. He was not a Christian terrorist, although he tried to um, take on a Christian identity so that it would then be more likely that he would be able to be um, accepted in France. He was trying to get um, citizenhood or um, getting getting papers I'll get into that later but he was trying to get papers in France and he thought as um, many migrants do that if they say that they are Christian or that they converted to Christianity that it will be easier for them to get all kinds of papers in Europe that'll make it easier for them to to do things to um, go from one country to the other and to do various things that you can only do with these um, kinds of citizenship papers. Okay, I will get into that more. He was not a Christian terrorist. I'll give you the, the, uh, the end of the story first, but it is, it's an amazing story. And it's only, you know, it is only because of some people who look into these, um, you know, terrorist experts who look into these things more in more, a more detailed way, you know, who do the research that we now know more about the story of this man. So stay tuned. You're listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to The Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about terrorism and its disguises. So as I started to tell you, um, this is a really fascinating story. Um, about a man who wanted to be seen as a Christian terrorist. There was no such thing as you may well already appreciate. Christians are not terrorists. Um, and, but this terrorist, instead of yelling out uh, Allahu Akbar when he was going on this stabbing spree in a beautiful park in the southeastern part of France, um, stabbing four three-year-olds and an adult three-year-olds. They were in their 
uh, carriages or, or, you know, by their um, mothers or fathers. And he just, he just went around the park and, you know, the video is online. Um, you can find it. Uh, and it shows, it's, it's really a very strange picture because the man he's dressed, you know, in typical Arab garb um, with sunglasses uh, though. Um, and he's dancing around the park as if he is having a great time. Well, apparently he was having a great time stabbing these, these four little kids. Imagine that three years old and younger. And ironically, or probably not by coincidence, he has a three-year-old child himself. I'll, I'll go into more about him and his child later. Um, so instead of yelling Elihu Akbar, he yelled in the name of Jesus Christ. And um, he, 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 the, and when he was caught, uh, the police came and they, um, got him and he was wounded but not killed and he claimed to them to the police and to the authorities in general that he is a christian he even has a made-to-order christian name um abdel masi hanun uh, abdel masi means slave of christ now this is not a coincidence um so, so this happened on June 8th, and now uh, people, as I was saying, who looked into this, people did research into who he was because, you know, they had his, his picture, although, I mean, he was wearing sunglasses, but still people recognized him. And um, they reported it was actually Syrians living in France and Germany who recognized him. And they said he's a madman of Allah and um, that he was a Muslim, and to, that his real name is Selwan Majid, um, a refugee from Al-Hazaka in northern Syria. Now, this is how he wound up in that sweet French park killing all these kids, toddlers. Um, first of all, he went to from Syria to Turkey with false papers. Once he was there, he met a Swedish woman, a tourist, and he told her that he was a Muslim convert to Christianity. They fell in love. They went to Sweden, to her home country. And there he married, they got married, and he used the name when he married her of Abdel Masi Hanun, and he claimed to be a Christian. But the Swedish authorities didn't believe him to grant him citizenship. Then um, his Swedish wife left him and he went to France. Um, and he went to seek help in France in a church, but the church also didn't believe him. Now, there are have been um, numerous refugees from terrorist countries uh, who have given false information and tried to get citizenship. For example, in Sweden, it was revealed that 5,000, over 5,000 of 7,000 Afghan quote-unquote child migrants were actually adults. So in other words, the Afghan migrants pretended to be children, said they were children, said gave their age as the age of a child, but actually it turned out that they were adults. 
In Britain, more than 2,000 adult migrants have been caught lying about their age and pretending to be children. And many migrants have claimed to be Christian, thinking that this would help their claim for asylum. Um, but, you know, when you think about it, yelling in the name of Jesus Christ, it was such an obvious uh, way of trying to, like a pretending to be Christian. You know, first of all, there aren't Christian terrorists, but second of all, if there were, they wouldn't yell in the name of Jesus Christ, um, you know, in comparison or similar to how uh, terrorists say Allahu Akbar. Um, oh, when he was in between his attacks, he um, was made it clear that he was fingering a cross that he was wearing around his neck. You know, he was trying to make sure people noticed that he had a cross. Now, um, just four days before this attack, he got word that um, he wasn't going to get asylum in um, France. And so, um, and so, you know, he obviously was very angry. Now, in Muhammad um, has said, this is in the Quran, Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, has said, war is deceit. So it is no wonder that this man felt okay in um, trying to pretend, and the other people too, for that matter, in trying to pretend that they're Christian or trying to pretend that they're children. Um, Now, the significance here of the Allahu Akbar question, and I'll get I'll get back to who he was and and more about him. But um, what's interesting, you know, part of this issue is not just that that Europe is being overrun by migrants who really are um, faithful to to uh, radical Islamism. <laughs> um, but uh, it's also the fact that the media goes out of their way to avoid calling something a terror attack and also to um, translating Allahu Akbar as God is good. Uh, God is great. God is great. God is good. Really what it means, and I think I may have earlier on when I first started this podcast, I may well have uh, believe that myself and said that myself, but actually the real meaning of Allahu Akbar is Allah is greater, meaning Allah is greater than your God or your government, but it is not translated as that in the media. <clears throat> um, so what this means is like, you know, it's a way of declaring that Allah and Islam are dominant over every other form of government, religion, or law or ethic. Um, so that's why in the middle of killing uh, infidels, terrorists shout Allah is, uh, uh, Allahu Akbar, um, Allah is greater than your God, God or government or greater than you. <clears throat> So now, and the purpose of it is to strike terror in the hearts of the enemies of Allah. Now, an example of this, uh, people who use this, terrorists who use this, um, Mohammed Atta, the chief 9-11 hijacker, wrote a letter to himself before carrying out um, his 
jihad mission. <clears throat> and he wrote, quote, when the confrontation begins, strike like champions who do not want to go back to this world, shout Allahu Akbar, because this strikes fear in the hearts of the non-believers. Uh, similarly, another example, I mean, there's so many examples of terrorists yelling Allahu Akbar, but another example is the Fort Hood jihad killer, Nidal Malik Hassan. He shouted it as he shot 13 Americans in November 2000. Um, the media, the mainstream media, however, uh, does in America, um, you know, does everything they can to avoid calling something a terror attack or that even if the person does shout Allahu Akbar. Um, it can mean uh, different things uh, in addition, like for example, it can be a declaration of joy and gratitude to Allah. Um, it can mean, uh, it can be an expression of grief and anger. And such as when uh, Syrians exclaimed it as an airstrike hit their village, or, um, or I, when, a declaration of joy and gratitude when jihadis uh, shoot down a helicopter. Um, then there was an example of a failed rocket launch. And so first they used it, they used it um, as a please make it work kind of Allahu Akbar. Then, wow, it is working. Then as the rocket fails, they shouted it as a kind of too bad Allahu, as, as a too bad, you know, Allahu Akbar is meaning too bad. And then, uh, and apologetic, we're sorry, please forgive us. And then <clears throat> um, another Allahu Akbar to mean Allah still is on our team. But the main thing is to strike fear in the heart of the people in the, in the infidels. Um, but well, the one thing that it doesn't mean is God is great. It, you know, it means, God, as I said, God is greater than your God. Our God is greater than your God. Um, now, if they wanted to say God is great, not God is greater than your God, Allah is greater than your God, um, they would say, you, they would use a different word. Um, it would be Allahu Kabir, because Akbar is the comparative and superlative form of, of Kabir. So, so to say, to say God is great rather than God is greater, it wouldn't be Allahu Akbar, it would be Allahu Kabir. Um, okay. Yes, the, all right. So when Allahu Akbar was found scrawled on the fuel tank of an airliner in Paris, after the Paris Jihad massacre of November, 2015. Um, and so whoever wrote that wanted to strike fear in the hearts of the non-believers. Okay, so um, getting back to the man in France um, who screamed in the name of Jesus Christ and stabbed four little children. They were 22 months to three years. Um, he, his story is that, um, you know, he was, as I said, he was rejected for asylum in France 
four days before he attacked the little children. Um, he was originally from Syria. He um, went to Sweden, as I said, he got married. Then he got, because he wanted, when he didn't get um, citizenship in Sweden, he wanted to leave Sweden and try to get citizenship somewhere else in, in Europe. So, um, but his wife didn't want to leave Sweden. So that is why they uh, separated. They lived in Sweden for 10 years after he was granted asylum. And then um, he, you know, he lived with, you know, a kind of a normal, a relatively normal life. He studied both Swedish and, and English at a secondary school in Sweden. He was training with his wife to become a nurse. So everything seemed like it was good. But then he was convicted for, in Sweden, he was convicted for illegal. He was given a suspended sentence and a fine. And then he applied for Swedish citizenship. He received a permanent residence permit and then he was rejected for citizenship. So after his third attempt to get Swedish citizenship didn't work, uh, which was in summer lab last year, he decided to travel to France. And then he, um, as I said, he applied for asylum in France in November of last year, and he was rejected four days before the, he started, he went on his attack. Um, now, I can tell you about him. Um, there's, the media is still not claiming that it wasn't a terror attack. They're still claiming that it was that it was not. They're not. They're not acknowledging that it was a terror attack. They're still claiming that it was not. Um, and he was. He's 32 years old. Uh, there's a question of whether he was in the Syrian army. And the media has, you know, said that he was Christian. They believed him. Um, and there are no known incidents of Christians attacking non-Christian children and shouting in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, like, duh. <laughs> uh, so that's pretty much his story. Um, oh, yes. The thing is the mayor of this town, yes, this is very interesting. The mayor of the small town where this man attacked the children um, was saying that he wanted to, um, he wanted to, he, he, he was dedicated to inclusivity and diversity and he wanted his city to be a refuge for those fleeing war, misery and misfortune, um, et cetera, et cetera. Now, 70% of people in France are opposed to more Muslim immigration. Because, and it's not xenophobic. It's not a fear of strangers or foreigners. It's not really that these people hate foreigners per se or hate Muslims or hate people who come from um, terrorist countries where there is where there are a lot of terrorists. It's that Muslims who have come to um, France uh, 
the the huge quantities from from terrorist countries are not have no desire to integrate into French society. This is the problem. And they have little desire to seek gainful employment. They just want to live off the French taxpayer by receiving free or greatly subsidized housing. They get free medical care, free education, free family allowances, unemployment benefits, um, even for those who never worked in France and more. And there are a lot of them who are um, really doing the kinds of things that, that that were okay or that maybe not okay, but that that happened in their countries, these terrorist countries that they came from, like these knife sprees. So um, basically, I mean, I lived in France. I don't know if you've heard me talk about this before, but I lived in Paris for three years and um, I've traveled all over France. I've been to the south of France um, and it is a beautiful country and the French are really proud of their heritage. And so people coming in, no matter what, where they came from, people coming in and refusing to, to uh, join French society and to just live off French society, um, of course, you know, they are destroying um, the French, they are destroying the French and all their knife attacks and so on, and also um, in destroying um, the, the cathedrals. Uh, Notre Dame, for example, I did a, a podcast on that, um, how I believe that that was a terror attack, even though, again, the media in France and elsewhere uh, are not describing it as a terror attack. They're, they've given all kinds of excuses for what it could be you know, what burned down uh, Notre Dame. But I mean, for example, um, they said it could, it could have been a lit cigarette. Well, duh, yes, it could have been. And it could have been dropped by someone who were part of the, um, the Notre Dame was under reconstruction. They were making um, um, additions or changes to Notre Dame at the time. And there were uh, work crews, um, some of whom came from terrorist countries. And it certainly does not take a lot of, uh, it's not a big leap to think that this um, light from a flame from a, from a cigarette, ashes from a cigarette um, might not have been an accident. Or similarly, it was thought that it could have been um, an electricity problem because they were working on the electricity. Well, you know, do we really know that this was by accident or could it have been on purpose? They have not done enough investigation to prove one way or the other and if they <laughs> perhaps they did and we're they're not they're just not telling so all of these things i mean that is the important part of all of this that um that we're not getting the truth about these attacks from the media about the things that are happening in europe and the significance of that is that um is that it is you know if we just go along and believe this then um, we're not recognizing the threat that there is to America. And it is really sad. I mean, the same thing with the UK. I've lived in the UK and I've lived in London. And um, there is a proud British heritage. And yet people, uh, migrants are storming the British shores. <laughs> and the mayor of um, London is inviting them in. I mean, again, this is not a coincidence. And again, this is also 
part of the World Economic Forum, globalism, people who want, I mean, it's not, it's not just about terrorism per se, it's about the idea of the more migrants that there are that come into these countries um, and basically, you know, and, and live off of these countries, live off of the, the free services that the countries give them, um, based thanks to the taxpayers in these countries. Um, and where, you know, it's, it's already the same thing in America. What do you, who do you think is paying for all the people who are coming across the border in America? I'm not saying that they're all terrorists, but I'm just saying that it's the same phenomenon of people coming across some people. Uh, I, I don't want to paint, you know, everybody with a broad brush, but um, some people do come here. They're grateful to be here and they do uh, go after the American dream. And, you know, then they become taxpaying citizens and uh, get educated and contribute in all different kinds of, of jobs and, and so on. It's not everybody who, um, you know, who, who lives off the country that they go into, but, um, but there has to be, it can't, it can't be, um, the, the time that it's a problem is when it is, there is no um, control over who these people are and what their background is and whether they you know, are criminals or drug addicts or what their intentions are when they come into America. And of course, you know, the worst part of that or the, this is um, the most dangerous, well, I mean, I guess one could, could, could there, there are several different kinds of ways that people could be dangerous, including coming over with all kinds of um, with all kinds of diseases that we already had gotten rid of in America. So, um, but in any case, this is particularly the case with terrorists, where they are not their identity is not acknowledged in the media, and um, and it is not what they do even even horrendous crime like stabbing four little children three years old and under not acknowledged as a terror attack well when we come back we're going to talk about a little lighter thing sort of <laughs> a little lighter um i mean yes and no i guess um it all <laughs> it is a terrorist this is the terror the isis bride who um is now trying to change her identity to be a fashion blogger. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show where we're talking about terrorism and its disguise. So this story is about a woman, um, a, a, an ISIS bride who is now trying to disguise herself basically as a fashion blogger. Um, but before I get into that, I want to just say, um, my, <laughs> in case I've created an uproar, not that I, I usually create uproars, so, um, but I just want to say, uh, you know, and I can't assume that you have been listening to all of my other podcasts where I have talked about this, but I, my family uh, are immigrants, were immigrants when they came to the United States. Um, years ago, my grandparents, and um, they came from Russia and Austria and Poland. And, but when they, the difference is that when they came to the United States, they worked their tushies off. 
and um, and did not, you know, depend upon any kind of welfare, um, but you know, uh, did not expect to be uh, supported by welfare for the whole time that they are in America. So I'm I'm just um, just putting putting that in there, and I, you know, I think it's great when people whatever come here and with the idea of following the American dream and working their tushies off. <laughs> okay, so um, now we get to the fashion blogger. So um, Tarina Shaquille, that is her name, and she is a Muslim who was living a perfectly normal Muslim life. <laughs> um, and, and let me give another little caveat here. Um, again, it can before in, in prior podcasts, but not all Muslims are terrorists and not all terrorists are Muslims. Just let me put it out there. Anyway, Tarina Shaquille was a Muslim and she was living in the UK. And when she was 26 years old, she decided to leave for Syria to join ISIS. Now, um, she knew already, now a lot of times, People who do this, women who Middle East countries to join ISIS or Al Qaeda or you know some terrorist organization, um, a lot most of the time they are younger because and they are you know for for various reasons they um, decide to leave, uh, and in, in, this has happened in America too. Um, it's happened in all. It's happened in France. It's happened in all different countries. Um, and they get, you know, it's for various reasons. Sometimes it's because their parents are, you know, they feel that their parents are keeping too tight a leash on them. Um, they, you know, they're not allowed to do things that they want to do. Or sometimes um, they, most of the time it has to do with their feeling as though they're not getting enough attention from guys. You know, they don't have a boyfriend. And um, the terrorist organizations are not stupid, as I have said many times before, um, as well, as part of it, <laughs> as opposed to the Navy, which I just described. But um, the terrorist organizations um, have their best looking guys uh, go online and recruit women, you know, and, and promise to marry women when they get there um, and and all kinds of things like that. And, you know, um, when you're feeling unloved, you're feeling like, you know, you're not, you're not, you haven't been successful with guys yet. Um, it is tempting to think that you'll go anywhere to get love. So, okay, this is what happened with this woman, with Tarina. She, even though, you know, she was 26 years old, and she um, uh, she went because her marriage was falling apart. Um, but she, at 26 years old, she knew, and living as a Muslim in the UK, she knew what ISIS was all about. And she she knew that ISIS, um, she knew about ISIS's brutality. Um, she, she had seen their propaganda videos with the beheadings of American journalists and British aid workers. Um, and her excuse for this, when, when she was finally caught, her excuse was, it's her explanation of why she went anyway to join ISIS 
She said, it's not something I'm happy about now looking back, but at the time, the only thing I can say is that, you know, I was far from the best version of time. Well, that's what anybody can say about something bad that they did. Oh, that wasn't my best self. And that's not really uh, a good enough excuse to be forgiven. Now, her journey to ISIS started as a result of her unhappiness with her first husband. Um, he was a conservative Muslim and he wanted her to dress, dress modestly and stop using social media. She says it wasn't a particularly happy marriage. And yet she went off to join the most reactionary of all Muslims, um, the fanatics of ISIS. Uh, it really, you know, that, that doesn't make sense. But she just wanted another guy. She wanted a man to love her. And she, uh, and, you know, of course, as you'll see, if you think about it, this, her husband had wanted her to dress modestly and not use social media. So what is she doing now? Opposite, she's trying to be a fashion icon on social media. Um, okay, so shortly after her, their, their son's birth, she and her husband had a child and, and her husband went to Yemen and he threatened to stay there and marry another woman and establish a new life. So <laughs> she started um, communicating on Facebook with this man, Fabio, his name is Fabio yet. Wonder if that's his real name or if they named him that because, you know, Fabio was the um, man who was on most of the covers of romance no uh, novels for years. I don't know that he still is doing that, but I don't think so. But he's on so many uh, romance, you know, paperbacks. Um, <laughs> it's hard to believe that's really his, his name. But in any case, he was very cute and um, he was an ISIS fighter in Syria or so he said. Uh, and she, she agrees. Yeah, he was attractive. So within weeks of her communicating with Fabio online, she posted an ISIS flag on her Twitter and Facebook profiles. Then she took her toddler son, a to can you imagine? She, she was so desperate. She took her toddler son with her to Turkey. I mean, not the place you want to bring your toddler son. And she went to a city near the Syrian border and she called a phone number that Fabio had given her. I mean, this, this is sounding like a, uh, a, a paperback romance, but it does not end happily like the paperback romances do. She didn't live happily ever after with Fabio. <laughs> that is a spoiler alert. Um, so she called this number that Fabio gave her and a van came and took her to a deserted patch of land. I mean, like, hello, lady, <laughs> didn't you get the point? <laughs> didn't you figure it out earlier on that this was not gonna end in um, going off into the sunset with Fabio? But no, she kept going. Um, she was told to run uh, to a white truck that was waiting on the Syrian side. So that's what she did. She, you know, the, the, uh, the van took her to the, to the border uh, between Turkey and Syria, and she was told to run to this white truck waiting on the Syrian side, and so that's what she did, her toddler in tow. Um, then, let's see, so it, 
it was the siren sex song of Fabio that got her to do all these crazy things. Um, so she, you know, she knew about the mass rapes of Yazidi women and girls, but that didn't make her change her mind. She knew about the mass killings of Yazidi men and Shiite believers and Christians and the insufficiently fanatical Sunnis by ISIS. And, but that didn't stop her. Um, she did, wasn't stopped by the ISIS people waving their rifles and Allahu Akbaring, and after their latest massacre. And in the end, um, so none of these things dissuaded her from going <laughs> as quick as she could to Fabio. Um, she has since then, she has never, even when she's now back in the UK, she's never expressed remorse for joining ISIS or trying to persuade um, others to do so. She simply says that she made the wrong choices. She looked, she joined ISIS looking for a husband and she found one, not, not Fabio. Um, when she got there, I mean, surprise, surprise, when she got there, she found herself with a lot of other women who were looking for cute um, ISIS husbands. And um, she met an ISIS matchmaker and the ISIS matchmaker didn't match her with Fabio. Uh, she, they ma she matched her to an American convert to Islam and an, an ISIS fighter, you know, he, an American who, was, who went over there to become an ISIS fighter and who converted to Islam. And his name was Russell Davison. And he was killed soon after in an American airstrike. Um, when she got back to the UK, she claimed that she didn't marry him. She tried to say that like she didn't have uh, she didn't have like a legal marriage or a formal marriage, but um, they, but then they found evidence that that marriage did happen. And so, you know, they found out that she was lying. Um, but the marriage was over when he died in any case, and um, he wasn't nearly as handsome as Fabio. So she didn't really care. Him. Uh, after three months, she decided she had had enough. No Fabio, she, she's going home or she's trying to. She left the camp in Syria um, with her toddler. And she, was, and she made it somehow to Turkey and then eventually to the UK. Now she doesn't, you know, she, she, she probably doesn't realize how lucky she is because many women do not make it back. Um, so she didn't get to marry Fabio and because it was hard to take care of her 14 month old baby in these primitive conditions. And, um, and she perhaps realized that this was just, um, you know, a fake, that Fabio was a fake. He was just a recruiter and um, his, you know, he was luring lots of uh, girls and women living in the UK and elsewhere to join ISIS in Syria. Now, when she got back to the UK, um, she first claimed that she had been kidnapped and taken to Syria against her will. And then, of course, it was discovered that that was another lie, 
she had joined ISIS um, on, on her own. That was her own desire to become an ISIS bride. So she was put on trial for joining ISIS. And um, that wasn't all that she was charged with though, because once she was in Syria, she actually worked for ISIS by trying on social media to persuade other women to leave the UK and join ISIS as she had done and commit acts of terrorism. So she became a recruiter too. She was sentenced to six years in prison. Now, some reports say that she spent six years in prison. Others say that she spent three years in prison and then three years on parole. Um, so now she's in her mid thirties and she is trying for a career change. <laughs> she wants to be the next big thing in the online fashion spaces. She was released from prison in 2019. She's given numerous television interviews and um, she, there were photos of her with AK-47s when she was in her ISIS bride mode. Um, when, she, when she was, I watched one of these uh, television interviews of her. It's it, really amazing because, um, you know, she's, she was asked, uh, she was. She talks about how shocked she was that she was put in prison. Um, she said that she was told by I don't know who that she wouldn't be in any trouble when she came home. And then when she got to the UK, she was arrested and put in prison. And she was so shocked at that. Um, so uh, let's see. So there were those, so on the television show, they asked her about, you know, you had photos of, there were photos of yourself um, standing next to an AK-47, you know, being an ISIS bride, being a member of ISIS, really working for ISIS to recruit. And um, were you, you know, were you shocked that and you were put in prison after you were doing things like that? And she has this sort of naive um, presence, you know, saying, well, you know, they told me it would be okay. Oh God, uh, I guess that's the same naivete or pretend naivete that she had when she went there in the first place to marry Fabio. Um, uh, so let's see. She tried to say that they made her do it. They made her stand with the AK-47, but apparently she was smiling in a very happy way. So it didn't really look like she was being forced to stand like that. She still tries to present herself as a victim. And um, so now she wants to change her, her um, you know, how she is perceived and, by, and wants to become this fashion influencer. And she posts um, her, herself online under that girl, Tam Tam, because, um, Because, uh, her, because, you know, her name is Tarina Shaquille, so somehow she gets Tam Tam from that. And she says that she's um, trying to be an inspiration and give people outfit ideas. And uh, she also, now I don't know how, I don't can't explain this 
it, I think that um, it would seem to me that there has to be somebody supporting her here, but on her social media, she not only posts fashions, but she posts videos of her travels across the globe. Now, where she is getting the money to travel across the globe has not been made clear. Um, she wants a company to hire her to be their influencer. And maybe, you know, maybe the, show, the clothes that she is wearing, um, maybe it is brands, although that hasn't been clear. Um, but, you know, just like <laughs> Meghan Markle wants Dior, that was the news this weekend, um, she is hoping that, or she even put it out, that she's going to be the new face of Dior. She's going to model their clothes. So maybe it's not that crazy that um, this Tam Tam <laughs> is hoping for brands to promote their clothes. Um, so I don't know, you know, who, where she's getting her money from, but I think she's up, she's still up to no good. Um, so let's see, like there are, there are different photographs of her. You can find her online. There's the photograph, her mugshot, when she first got back to the UK. Um, she does not look like a fashion model. She, and she does not look happy. She has this really annoyed look on her face, which is very different from the look that she has when she is standing next to the AK-47. Um, what else can I tell you? Uh, Let's see. She went to the UK in, in 2014. And um, let's see. So the, the six years of prison time, um, two years for, four years for joining ISIS and two years for encouraging commit acts of terror via social media posts. Uh, and also, she was made to undergo a de-radicalization program. Now, I am not sure that this de-radicalization program took um, because it really does not seem like she, you know, she doesn't have any regret for what she did. So I hope that they are watching her and that she doesn't get lost in between the cracks like many other terrorists do. I mean, there, there are pictures of her with the AK-47. She's smiling. She has this, you know, it's not just smiling like a hat, like being like being happy, but it's kind of like a sneaky smile, like a cat that ate the canary smile. And um, so I think, I don't think that people, that the government, that the UK government should stop watching her. She has photos of her, Jet set lifestyle in hot spots such as Milan, Barcelona, and Morocco. Perhaps she is. Um, perhaps she has found men. Um, not necessarily um, Fabio, Fabio, but perhaps she has found men to support her her jet set lifestyle. In any case, um, I would suggest to these men that they not trust her. Uh, not just in terms of terrorism, but in terms of um, who she really is. It seems like she's a chameleon and could be, um, you know, and lies when it's in her best interest or when she thinks it's in her best interest. Anyhow, that is the end of my terrorism and disguises seg um, uh, show. I mean, the this 
this particular show. I will find more for you. I love to do the kinds of things that um, that people that you will not hear in the mainstream media. And I can assure you that you will not hear some. It will be. It will. They are not in. Um, you are not likely to have heard any of these three stories that I just talked about in the mainstream media. But if you look for them online, you can find them. All right. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show, and I'm your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.